Happy Pride, one and all, and welcome back to The Fala. Here at the Fofola La Fala podcast, we weave together the stories of queer and trans Pacific Islanders from Oceania. This is now episode eight. Y'all, I'm so stoked. Fofola La Fala is a monthly podcast produced by Utopia Washington with stories written by the beautiful, wonderful, exquisite Marin Molina, and I am your host, Donato Fatuesi. On today's podcast, we are going to hear the powerful 50-year love story of John Godinet and Peter Dare. I mean, can you believe that? 50 years, y'all. This is the kind of testament of time love story that many folks yearn for. And this couple, their relationship surpassed the AIDS pandemic, the Defense of Marriage Act, and so, so much more. Y'all, it is now time to unfold your mat. This is The Vow. The journey of a love story to fulfill one last promise. A man sat gazing upon an urn of ashes embedded in delicate white lace and tropical flowers as it was being prepared for entombment into its final resting place. Though in vivid description, it was precisely how this Facebook image came to my attention. No language was needed. The photo profoundly captured the grieving man's longing and heartbreak. Gripped by the emotional image, I sent a message to the original poster, a gracious woman named Frances. Now, I learned that the ashes being interred are that of her uncle John got in it. And the man in the photo was his husband, Peter Dare. And as if fate had intervened, I knew a higher power brought me to this story. And the next few days were a testament to how deeply rooted our Samoan community is in the family. So Frances connected me to her cousin Pulotu, whom Peter was staying with. And the day Peter was scheduled to fly out of Samoa, I received a reply and we arranged for a chance to speak with Peter at their home. Now, if you've ever been to American Samoa, you know that <laughs> street names are not a thing. <laughs> completely non-existent and so since many homes sit on communal lands the only way to locate a house is you have to ask around and part of how that works is you start to begin to list names of families and names of individuals to people um, around you or within your neighborhood or within that village um, to begin to like learn how to locate a specific house and so those directions can sound a lot like you go down this road you'll see this tree which is by this building and so and so this color house 
you get the gist. <laughs> so I quickly sought the help of my cousin Grace, who was kind enough to take us. And the drive took us all the way to the west end of the island in the village of Leone, where we were able to meet the man in the photo. Now, since the inception of Fofola Lefala, this was the first time that I had no knowledge of the subject in which I was going to be covering. And I followed a path that led and was led entirely by a deeply moving photograph, right? I learned that there was a story here of nearly 50 years of commitment and devotion to each other. And the photo I saw was the end of the journey to fulfill one last promise. Peter Dare grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And as the middle child of three brothers, in the 1970s, during his senior year of college in central Illinois, he dropped out of school to join the Navy, hoping to see the world through military service. Life didn't happen the way he planned. And eventually, he would settle in Monterey, California, where he met John Godinet at a bar. I made the first move, Peter recalls. I asked him out on a date and his response was, I'm not gay. <laughs> we met again a few weeks later and started a conversation. At first, he introduced himself as Hawaiian. But when I told him I read Margaret Mead's coming of age in Samoa, he was impressed and said, oh, so you do know of Samoa. I'm from Samoa. And after that, we began dating. I only understood later that claiming he was other than Samoan was his way of avoiding the ignorant questions about his homeland. About two months of dating, Peter and John moved in together in Caramel, California. It was about a 45-minute drive from Fort Ord, where Peter was stationed, and he served throughout the week and drove home during the weekends. When John was discharged from military service, Peter instilled in him the importance of having stability. We were together because we wanted to be together, said Peter. You've got to safeguard your future because at any given time when one of us wanted to leave, we have to be secured in our own right. That was critical to me to make sure John had his own support. So there's a lot of independence between us in that regard. And I wanted equality in the equation. You see, Peter worked as a surveyor and John was employed at the financial firm Merrill Lynch. When a couple of their friends had moved to Washington, D.C., John and Peter moved with them. And now the four of them rented a house together on Connecticut Avenue. 
Eventually, they moved out of D.C. and bought a home in Maryland. However, they were still close enough to go to D.C. at any time. Now, if you know the East Coast, you know that the Metro train always ran through. (laughs) And it was an easy trip to get downtown, especially when friends and family visited. John later left Merrill Lynch to work for Standard Federal Savings, which later was bought by Citicorp. And he was employed there for over 25 years. Ah, (laughs) he helped people keep their mortgages by finding alternative financing for those who couldn't make their monthly payment on time, said Peter. He was very proactive in helping to keep people in their homes. That was partly his someone in him too. While John was the active part of their relationship, Peter was the homebody. I'd rather be sitting in a yard having a beer. That's comforting for me. Peter reflected. John, however, would rather be dancing at a bar. He was the party animal. Now, I didn't mind because I had our dogs, so it worked well for us in the beginning. But when John began having DUIs, it became a problem. After the third DUI, I told him, you got to realize if you injured somebody, we'd lose the house and everything we have. And at that point in time, he began changing his priorities. John recovered with renewed enthusiasm, re-emerging by channeling his energy into fitness and charity work. He joined and became president of the local Lions Club and brought Peter along with him to help generate money to give away. They also became part of the fire company. (laughs) John taught aerobics and other fitness classes at Gold's Gym, Fitness First, and other clubs in the area. And he discovered his great passion in long-distance running, including marathons and of a 50 and 100-mile races. John's colorful outfits, infectious personality, And zest for life drew everyone to him. He treated everyone like family and became a beacon of hope to all he touched along the way. One of them was a prolific award-winning filmmaker, Robert Rui, who began filming John and the community he inspired. The documentary titled Tail Twister is still in production and will be televised on PBS at a future date. Now, during their entire relationship together, John and Peter made certain that everything was jointly under their names, from bank accounts to their home, all of it. It was a practical reality. Should anything happen to either of them, 
no one could take anything away. At that period of time, it protected them legally. After over 30 years together, the Defense of Marriage Act, also known as DOMA, was overturned. And finally, finally, they were able to marry on July 11th of 2013. Now that's a date I could remember, said Peter. Everything else has been a blur. For years, I can't remember even my birthday when it comes up. But John doesn't forget anything. Now, according to Peter, his family never spoke the word gay. It was never talked about. They just accepted them as life went on. And the first time he visited Samoa, he was a bit concerned. But like his own family, it was never an issue. They knew and just embraced them as they were. Everywhere they went, everyone was open and hospitable. Family is what Peter appreciates most about Samoa. During their last visit together, they were looking at land on John's family plantation in Leone, contemplating a move on island. But it was soon after that, that John began losing muscle use in his arms and legs. One day he was teaching an aerobics class and his arms suddenly dropped. It took a year and a half to eliminate a number of neurological disorders before John Hopkins University had diagnosed him with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, ALS is a progressive disease where motor neurons in the body just begin to die out and muscle control is no longer functional. And the thing with ALS is that there is no cure. Now, as an army veteran, they applied for medical care and in 2018, the VA acknowledged his illness was a service-connected disability, which allowed priority help. They provided wheelchairs and even funding to modify their home to make it wheelchair accessible. And eventually, John could no longer move anymore. So a lift was installed. The VA was a lifesaver to them. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit the US, it complicated things for them. Peter allowed no one from outside into their home, so he had to provide 24-hour care. He retired from work and became John's full-time caretaker. Many friends lived around their area so whatever they needed, they did all the shopping and dropped it off at their house. 
it was the nicest thing ever, said Peter. They were willing to do anything for us because they wanted to protect John. Every day we had visitors and I brought John to the window to see them. John was taken to the hospital for a minor infection and later he developed further infections and the hospital stays became longer and longer. All the while, his health conditions becoming worse and worse. They had a track tube in place to force oxygen in to help him breathe. And while in rehabilitation, John told Peter, this is never going to get any better. As active as he's always been, he said he was tired. He made his own decision. His mind was still strong, so he had every legal right, said Peter. The nurses removed John's breathing tube and began putting him on morphine. It was the end stage of his transition. John was able to live an entire week before his inevitable passing. Peter, John's good friend Jennifer, cousin Matt, and his wife Faye were all by his side when he took his last breath. It took me six months to forgive him, Peter expressed as his voice trembled with tears filling up his eyes. That hurt. hard to talk about it now there was no option John had the courage and it was his decision to go John and Peter were together for 46 years what was your key to such long-lasting relationship I asked Peter <laughs> we were able to stay together because we both had flexibility you know if he wanted to go out there was no jealousy I wasn't controlling we don't try to micromanage each other we both got lives we didn't have to be tight-knit because there was trust in each other. After his death in 2021, COVID-19 restrictions were still active. And it took a year and a half before Peter was able to make plans to bring him home. Oh, we talked about it many times before, he said.
if one of us was to die first, he wanted to be buried next to his mom. I talked to Senator Faivai, Alex got in it, John's brother, the day John died. He said, Peter, we understand. There's no rush. Whenever you can, just bring him home. We'd like to have him home. It was my obligation to bring him home to his family. In May of 2023, just last month, John's family prepared a final service in American Samoa before his ashes were interred next to his parents' graves. (laughs) I'm 77 now. It's unclear, but potentially I could move to Samoa, rent a place and live out the rest of my days here. Peter reflected. I only have one of our dogs left. Our house is too big now without John. It's more than I want and more than I could maintain being alone. As our time with Peter came to an end, we hugged and said goodbyes before my cousin Grace and I drove away while admiring the idyllic atmosphere of John's childhood neighborhood. We passed by his resting place and paused there for a bit. I thought of John and Peter and their life together, imagining all the places they'd been and the people who were part of their lives, all those decades together, the birthdays, Christmases and anniversaries and I thought of how extraordinary it was that a single snapshot on Facebook would ultimately deliver me to this story. For people like us who have been ostracized marginalized and silenced by society to live our lives amongst the shadows. It's a most beautiful feeling to behold such a love, such a relationship like Peter and John survived in all of those challenges and withstood the test of time. This was a love story that embodies deep within the heart of those very sacred vows. In planning and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live till death do us part. Well, I'm just so moved by this story. And so I can only imagine what folks might be feeling for those of you that are listening um, over the podcast. Thank you. 
Thank you, Peter and family, for sharing this beautiful story. And John, may you rest peacefully. So that is our episode for today, y'all. And my wish for you all is that may you know a love like this. (laughs) Till next time, happy pride. It is now time to fold your mat. This has been Fofola Lefala.